1: up everybody my name is James D. and this is black Bolt. sometimes when you meet a new friend and they become like a friend that you will probably have for the rest of your life you feel like you will for the rest of your life often it is rooted in something that is super important which is a good first impression <clears throat> I can't stress this enough like you, you, you need to right out of the gate you need to be like charming and or witty or humble not outspoken which is why (laughs) I'm a little bit surprised uh, that I am still friends with the person that we are going to meet today that you're going to meet today I will do everyone a favor and just not um, repeat the very first sentence I ever said to this person but it was horrible Like if you read it on paper, you'd be like, oh, is this a serial killer biographer? This is great. And nonetheless, and it was her birthday. um, And it was 23 years ago this year. And right out of the gate, I said something awful. um, As a joke, I didn't mean it in an awful way, but it did sound awful. And to her credit, she didn't dismiss me as she probably should have for the rest of my life. Instead she became a person that I often refer to in my own mind as a Counselor of sorts and it, which is funny because of what she does today but she's always sort of been a confidant a person that you could um, a person that you could just really dump all your problems on and hopefully she can help you figure it all out and um, and I actually love her for that because there was uh, many years of my life where I would reach out to her in the wee hours and 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 share too much and offer too little and she was always very generous. And she is and or was a lawyer. We'll get, we'll get the, the goods on that in a second. And she has now become um, a person who is a counselor at the business that shows, which is called Radiant Mind Counselors. And her name is Tara Mazetsky. Oops, I did that instead <laughs> of that. Hi, Tara.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Was that a fair depiction of the uh, first time we met?
0: Pretty really fair depiction yeah, without details. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah,
1: without details. I, I, I can't share the details. Uh, I'll share them on another podcast when people forget who it was that I was talking about. But it's really just, uh, it's, it's, it just makes me look bad. It doesn't make anyone else look bad, really. But um, but it was uh, it was in the year 2000, and it was your birthday. Um, I won't say when that was because I don't know if that's the type of information you want on the internet right now but um and it was at an after party i believe in the hotel room on queen's key dj scott stubbs if i'm not mistaken was the um was the dj that uh, we had brought in and and you and another friend um who i knew before this uh our, our mutual friend laura was there and i was probably on an assortment of very mind-altering things, and said what I said. And um, I know everyone's going to be like, what did you say, what did you say? And I, I'm just going to tell everyone on a podcast in a week. Uh, on a casual Friday, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people that. And um, I, I kind of want to open with that, not just for the LOLs, but just because you have always sort of been a person who I've I've thought about whenever I have kind of overreacted to somebody, because I never have seen you overreact i'm sure you have but i just haven't seen it and and i often found you to be the voice of reason who could sort of like be that diplomat um were you always like that was that sort of your role growing up uh like the mother hen of your girlfriend's kind of thing
0: um not really i was i was an only child i am an only child so i spent a lot of time around adults so i became really um just aware of my surroundings and, and people around me and just reading, reading the room a lot, you know, that kind of thing. It's, uh, but not to say oh. that I don't react to things in life, but you know, just with other people, I just kind of, yeah, it's the observation sort of thing, you know, just kind of watching and seeing what's going on.
1: Yeah, you're a people watcher too, aren't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, like I, I can observe people, like observing their, like, you know, what's going on what's what's the dynamic what's what's happening inside
1: that kind of thing i know that some people might look at you right now and and the first thought that doesn't come to their mind is lawyer but um how did you be how did you get interested in the law and take sort of take me through um what the process was like being a lawyer because where you are now versus you know where you were when you started law school I don't know how many terrors ago that was but i was just telling you off air that it feels like sometimes um when we all hung out that was like 20 jameses ago and um i look at it like that because i i, I associate that with growing personal growth i you know mm-hmm. i shedding the skin of the guy that did things that i no longer do kind of thing so can you take me through what it was like for you and how you became interested in the law to begin with yeah
0: that was that was Quite a few terrors ago, actually. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there have been a lot of terrorists as well, and there's still probably a lot more to come. But um, yeah, it was, when I was younger, I, I used to I used to write a lot. I used to be really into creative writing and, and these things. And um, you know, I had an, an immigrant father who was like, "Well, you got to pick a profession, right? So you could be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor." And it became pretty clear by high school that my aptitude in math was nowhere near the other people's. So, <laughs> pretty much knocked out all of the sciences and uh, engineering. Um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe I should go to law school because you know I think that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, I'm you know I do reasonably well in school, and um, you know I'm good with my with words, and I'm you know I can, I can write well, and uh, you know I should have a profession because that's what I've been told, and it's not a bad one to have, that's for sure. So um, you know I went I went ended up going to law school. I went to Osgood which um, was quite a, a wake-up call from my undergrad. You know, it's a totally different way of learning and, and processing information. And uh, it's a very competitive environment, as a lot of people know, um, and can be quite stressful, you know? Yeah. So uh, I really, when I got in there, I was like, I felt like I was out of place. Like, I didn't feel like the rest of the people. Actually, it's so funny, because we we did a Myers-Briggs topology test that was the... Um, Career counselor gave. And she's like, how many people are ENFP? And like me and her put our hand up and we're like, okay, we're clearly, you know, like, I don't think I belong in this room. What's ENFP? Everyone was like, you know, it's uh, extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. Oh. And most people were things like the other ones were like judging, um, analyzing. Like, I don't remember, but they're very concrete, like, you know, left brain type things. Whereas mine was like this really like airy fairy, not airy fairy, <laughs> but it's more like in that what environment it's
1: very mean hold on I can't no, let it, that
0: go <clears throat> it's not tangible like it's not tangible in the same way as like uh, analytical thinking you know or these things like in right. in that environment it's it's just like it's odd I guess you know to be in that place right because law is a lot about judging and thinking and analyzing in these things and you know I had the capacity to do that but um I do but I you know, that's the way you learn too when you're in law school. But it wasn't one of those like first things that, like, you know, I think would be something would, you know, my natural way of processing information or relating to the world.
1: Yeah. So that is amazing. Now that I'm thinking about the overlap between, um, you know, like the early two thousands, you know, going to going to really awesome DJ parties and then realizing that you're going to law school tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like
0: yeah yeah,
1: yeah. So, I, I, <laughs> you're, you're like yeah let's talk about that no i, I uh, remember no, yeah. i
0: i i yeah there were a lot of times where i would be out and then i'd be like okay i gotta go to school tomorrow <laughs> like, it's just yeah it was, it's it's something i mean normally by the time i got to to law school it wasn't it wasn't like being in your early 20s right, right. but um but yeah it was it's a it's a different environment um, but yeah, it, it, yeah. so it, so I was there and I practiced for a few years and I really did enjoy what I did. Um, I ended up in different iterations, but at the end of my uh, time in private practice, I was a family lawyer. Um, yeah. And that, that was pretty natural for me, given sort of where my orientation was with people, because a lot of my, my skill sets was sort of just understanding the dynamics between people and sort of kind of intuiting of what would happen if we did X or Y based on how people are right. And how the dynamic was with the spouses and the kids and these sorts of things. So uh, yeah, so that, that was interesting. Um, but yeah.
1: Yeah. You have the kind of mind also that um, the, the, the new modern take on conventional wisdoms, right. Um, for example, I remember, I remember speaking with you a few years ago, I think uh, about how, I'm like, can you believe all the people that are calling Justin Trudeau a communist and that we're living in a communist country? And and you said to me like that your dad um, who was raised in a communist country would be like, ro- like, like would be livid at the idea of people trying to say that Canada was a communist country because of what he actually experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind yeah. of um, refusal that <clears throat> that I've noticed in you to say the thing that might be the right thing for the right people. I I really appreciate that about you. Um and is that do you think there's an overlap there between being a lawyer and being a counselor then because and and having a mindset like that because it means that you're not pigeonholed. You didn't you don't pigeonhole yourself into uh believing something that might not necessarily be true but is safer to th- say or think. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think it helps anybody in any of those circumstances as a lawyer or as counsellor, you know, you you know, especially as a lawyer, right? Like you you do need to be able to um point out things, you know, that are maybe not the best for your client. You have to be frank and quite, you know, open with them because ultimately if you don't, then they come down the line. Why didn't you tell me that? You know, I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't told me this, you know, these kinds of things. So I learned in that environment frank even when it was uncomfortable or even scary, right? And um, you know, as in the counselor, it's a different situation. Like I'm not telling anybody anything, right. It's just more, you know, we're exploring things about people, you know, there things that are going on for them and that's for them to sort of come to their, um, you know, their own understandings about things. So um, it's a, yeah, it's a shift. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and the, the overlap is interesting though, because it just, it kind of, it feels like it, you, you have to tap into the same part of your mind in order to um make the best not argument that you can because when you're counseling you're more you're more like reflecting what someone else is feeling than giving them um different ideas as to where things originate from and then how to cope is that fair
0: um it could be yes it could be um you know to be careful about projecting things onto people based on my own experience or what i think might be going on because that can you know that's not helpful necessarily right Mm -hmm. it's i think a lot of times it's about asking good questions and hoping that allowing people it takes time it takes time because uh it's it's i think it's preferable if people come to that on their own rather than having your therapist say yes x y and z right unless
1: therapist they'll just tell me what to do um yeah, exactly. yeah I, I really do just james do this maybe she can look a certain way too when she does it but well, um, sometimes
0: yeah like you can talk about like you know behavioral modifications or like certain things that might be helpful or, i mean like you know if you trying to reach a certain goal and, and you know if it's an addiction or if it's you know anything like it can you need some steps right to yeah and, and some accountability but that really depends on what the person's coming with right if some some people want that more a bit more direction and then you can work with them in that way and if other people don't then, then it's up to them because my my approach is client-centered so it's like whatever people want to do like not you know not want to do but they're i believe that everybody kind of knows their own way of how the best way that they can unfold towards their healing and so i don't Uh want to like really project something or overlay something on somebody when it doesn't fit for them
1: that's fair that makes sense um i don't want to go back to the to so you're practicing law and and listen i may have um accidentally kind of created a uh you know how like wrestlers have those fake origin stories Okay. Like I, I went to school with Test. He was a wrestler, and his fake origin story was that he was Motley Crue's bodyguard. It was just complete fiction. Right. Anyway, so I, 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 guess I created a sort of origin story for you, which I think is half true, but maybe not quite the way that I put it. But, um, you, you were practicing law, you were feeling not so good about it, um, or at least you were having uh, thoughts about perhaps making a pivot in your life path, and uh, you end up in Peru. And can you can you give me because I like hearing about enough from a funny haha point of view, but literally from like a, a life changing, transformational kind of point of view um, about your experience in Peru and the subsequent one or two experience you may have had after that that may have sort of helped um, you see the new path that you wanted to to go on. Yes,
0: so I did. Um, I ended up leaving my my job and for sort of an indefinite sabbatical, I guess. And I started backpacking. I started in Costa Rica because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll sea turtles, you know? And that was really great and a nice experience. And so as I was moving through, um, I ended up in Peru. And uh, like, I was out for dinner with with a family member that I have there. and. They're like, oh, so you're coming here to do ayahuasca? And I was like, no, I'm just backpacking. And they're like, oh, because if you wanted to, like, I have somebody that I know is very trusted and I can connect you. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll try it out, right? Um, so we did, I did do that and uh the first time i mean everyone talks about these you know life-changing altering experiences and i i just really just threw up the whole time <laughs> yeah. it was a really ugly experience actually and i was like how was it how was it afterwards i was like i was really sick like <laughs> i don't know you know what the big deal is right i feel a lot better i've probably got a lot of stuff out but and uh and then i had been i was in peru for some time and um I, somebody else that i knew there had suggested somebody else Another shaman in, in in Peru, in a different part of Peru, and that we go there for a few days. And so I went there, and uh, and it, I, the, during the first first ceremony, I kept seeing this this arrow, and it was pointing to the right, like follow me, follow me. But I was too sick, and I was like, no, nah, that's not happening. And uh, but the second time I I did, um, suddenly just something just like blasted open, and I had the most intense experience in the sense like. I felt like I was being cradled by like a universal mother. Like it was like all these hmm. old like traumas and things from my childhood and and things that just came up. But it was like it was like I was being held and and there was this, like I was being held like by a mother and I was crying and all the things were coming up things that I hadn't um, you know ever I haven't thought about for so many years. I I didn't even know they were in there. You know I remember they had this one vision of and actually kind of makes me sad just to talk about it. But like, it was like a raft. My parents divorced when I was young and the raft split open on this ocean. And I was in the middle and I was trying to grab the raft and pull it together. Uh, And the agony in my heart of like, I can't make these two people stay together. I can't make this, be okay you know um but i was never in touch with how deeply i had felt that because you know i'm I'm a pretty sensitive person so i also could have the tendency to cover it up a lot without realizing it right because it's, it's quite overpowering those feelings and uh so it was really astounding and so you know worked with that a little bit and um another thing too that was pretty profound for me was you know like you know back in the days like to drink and party and all that stuff and I probably drank too much while I was practicing law to be frank because of a lot of a things. A lawyer
1: drinking too much? Get out of town.
0: <laughs> yeah that's sort of yeah I know shocking right um but you know one of the things that happened which was really interesting was I came when I came back to Toronto I ordered a beer at like a party or something and I drank it I was like Oh, this is disgusting! Like it's not doing anything for me. It just—it just makes me tired. Like I didn't get that dopamine rush, mm-hmm. you know. Like that, you know. They oh, I love to. Oh, I want to get drunk. Woo-hoo, it's gonna be so fun, you know. Yeah. But it, it just—it wasn't happening. Like it was gone. It was done. And I was like, wow, this is really incredible. Like I think something in my brain must have rewired. Um, and you know, I Do- Dr. Gabor Mate talks about this, and a, a lot of other clinicians talk about. You know what? It, I'm not really sure what the what the mechanism is. Um, but yeah, yeah.
1: It's pretty, yeah. You you were the first person, not the first person, I shouldn't say that, but maybe you're the first person that I knew on a personal level who um, described a, an Ahuasca trip in a way that I found um, both profound and productive and therapeutic. And, 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 and because I try to avoid anyone that talks about um psychedelic drugs in a way that is just too i don't know stereotypically hippie or something you know i like and, and i I think yeah, i might it's be guilty so, of it
0: There's sort Sorry. of a magic, a magical thinking that can develop around yeah. it like I, yeah I, i've been through that i know i know what that's like like it is because it's such a powerful and life-changing thing and you do see a lot of things like you do see a lot of images and a lot of you have these really really i mean it's like interdimensional kind of experiences you know Mm. it it really changes everything about your perspective on the world right and so i think it's hard not to get sort of mm, entranced in a way right
1: yeah i I feel that way about shrooms because um that is my sort of go-to reset um you know psilocybin and me seem to get along and, you know, but I have to remind myself to um, to have the right frame of mind going into it. Ayahuasca scares the crap out of me, pardon the wordplay. Um, it's, fair. Of it's,
0: it's scary sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: not the fear of the psychedelic part of it. It's the fear of pooing in front of people. <laughs> because I hear so many stories about people going to these retreats and, and the shaman being like, All right, there's 12 of you here. That means three are probably going to need a shit bucket for the next six hours. And I'm like, I'm out. I can't do it. I I, I can't risk that, you know? Um,
0: Yep. Yep. I know that
1: one. (laughs) I'm waiting for you to go like this. Actually, James, there's something you can do now. We're guaranteed that that won't happen. And I'm like...
0: No, you can't guarantee that won't happen. Empty stomach?
1: Like anything?
0: Uh, well, empty stomach, yeah, you sh- you probably should have an empty stomach just so you're not like really throwing up a lot of things, but that stuff's there for a while. So I don't know if yeah, you can really you know uh, um, But
1: the and and so okay, so, so you you have your experiences and is that part of the sort of like um the milieu of your life at the time that uh that allowed you to feel confident into in the career change? Um
0: it was it was more of like um I don't know if it was immediate. It was over some, some years, that that happened. Like I knew I was, I wanted something, um, different, right. About, about my life. It opened up the possibilities for healing and, and the mind body connection and how, how much we don't really know, you know, and what's possible. Um, so that sort of led me. And also, it also like through the healing process that I had helped me heal to become more authentically myself. So that I'm, I you know, I, I was more confident to go in that direction. Whereas before, I might have been like, "Oh, that's kind of airy fairy" because I had conditioning around that, you know, and things like that. So, um, yeah. So I think it sort of just was natural. Like it sort of just um, happen, happened over a few years. So I, the program that I ended up taking was a contemplative psychotherapy program. So it it's basically a lot of base, basis in Buddhism and, and mindfulness, compassion. Um, and like somatic based stuff, so it was more. I wouldn't say it was spiritual, it's spiritual, because it's backed by a lot of heart science. Like the guy who developed the program is the head of psychiatry at Cornell, so he's you know he's pretty you know he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Like it's incredible what this guy knows. He's like a Tibetan master, and he's also like he's a Robert Thurman's student, and uh, sorry, like he, he's Robert Thurman. You know Uma Thurman's father. I don't know if you've oh heard no. About this guy yeah he's I, I, he's a, a genius too he, he teaches sanskrit like he's he was the first western lama that was was get like um what's the word you know when you become accepted into the order by the dalai lama and oh, then he got then he disappeared and canonized? He was
1: is that no, that's saint? That's being. No, that's a saint.
0: saint. It's, I don't remember the word. It's like you're in, not. It's not inducted. It's not the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's like something like. <laughs> that.
1: Do you do you have to like get beat up by a bunch of crips? Like to, to you in the game yeah. now. Earn your bones. No, or
0: no, I think back then it was still pretty chill. It was before yeah. all the happened in China. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So then he ended up like he think he just gave up his robes and married Uma Thurman's mother, and then became a professor of Sanskrit and Tibetan studies. And guy's a genius. So he's the he was the teacher of my of the guy who developed the program who was basically my teacher. Oh so, awesome. and he he is yeah, so he he was really um you know, he 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 knew about that meditation and these things were so helpful, but it was his sort of his mission to be like, okay, for this to be accepted by the mainstream, I have to back it up with the science. So yeah. he did. It was really, I found really incredible because you don't see that very often, I find. Or and it's
1: it, it it is fair to say that I, I think that um, we often miss the boat. I think on on um, or miss the opportunity to 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 create new and effective ways of of doing things, whether it's um, for for counseling and for therapy, <clears throat> excuse me, or or even our political systems. I, I'm often talking about uh, with people how. I, it, I feel like we need to start recognizing our political system as what it is, which is capitalism, it, which is like a hybrid system of capitalism and socialism. Um, when I hear you talk about this type of therapy, I, I'm, I'm picturing this sort of like old meets new uh, way mm-hmm. of doing things and way of conducting therapy. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Because that's the, that's the vibe that I get when I hear you talk about it.
0: Yeah. So like it, it actually the, one of the, the ways they describe this one, the, the sort of, it was a, hybrid program between a school that I, that I was in Toronto, Institute for Traditional Medicine, and the, the, a big chunk of it, like the, the teacher who uh, taught me, his name was Dr. Joe Luizzo and, and their uh, school was called the Nalanda Institute in New York City. And they have courses, um, I don't think they're running them anymore in Toronto, but they have courses in New York, Barcelona, I think San Francisco, these kinds of, they're, they're certificate courses. So I think for people who are already practitioners, I'm not sure what the iteration is now. Um, but they're, the way they describe it is like um, the merger of traditional contemplative science with modern neuroscience and psychothera- Western psych- psychotherapeutic concepts because they're actually not that different at oh. all. Like it's, it's really, it's just kind of they're different ways of looking at things. Um, you know, so like we would talk about things like reparenting, like self-reparenting, right? So like meditation, mindfulness meditation is kind of a way to reparent yourself. So like, you know, when you have. So um, you're saying
1: reparent. Mm-hmm. Re, so, okay. Sorry. I'm just making sure I heard you correctly. Yeah. yeah
0: re-parent. So like if you have, for example, you know, maybe you've had traumatic childhood experiences and they, they're coming up inside you. And so as a, when you are mindful, you can, you develop a certain thing that's called affect tolerance. Like you can, you learn to watch and hold space for it without turning away, without moving into maybe an addictive behavior and what children want in, in those situations is to be seen and heard, right? So they want a parent who is able to hold space for them when they're going through these sorts of things. So in a way, I mean, there's multiple, obviously it's not always done by ourselves, but intro, they call this, it's like an intro kind of way to work with it is that if you're able to sit with your own discomfort, it's kind of like being your own parent so that you can, you can have a different experience essentially and be held and seen, you know, in a way, in that sort of emptiness, right, in that spaciousness. Um, there's also a whole lot of other things that, that can be, you know, like, you know, so there is an overlay, right, between attachment theory and, and meditation or, um, you know, neuroscience, that like have, um, affect tolerance, right? Being able to tolerate highs and lows without reacting, you know, without going into fight or flight or without going tonic, without becoming into the freeze. So you start to be able to wait, like, to sort of be in the middle of the river without being on one side or the other. And, uh, you know, and that when we are able to do that, our lives improve because a lot of the times the way we react create, we perpetuate similar cycles, right? So maybe it's an addictive cycle, right? If you're in fight or flight and you need to have a drink so you can bring your affect, your affect down, or if you're maybe you're more depressive and maybe you like cocaine because it brings you up, or ecstasy, or brings you up to this place, right? Instead of sort of now in the middle a bit more, so you're not recreating more, what they say, samsaric cycles, which you can create, you know, not always the best, sometimes really fun experiences. But yeah. <laughs> if they go on yeah. for extended periods of time without any control, they reap certain other things too, right? But
1: Okay. Yeah, a, I, yeah, I think um, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. You touch on uh, the when you, when when I hear you talk about it, that sort of um, that middle of the stream thing reminds me a little bit of stoicism. And I I am a, a novice uh, at stoicism. In fact, um, our fearless our fearless leader here at the Dean Blundell Network, Dean Blundell, um, is really into stoicism and. Um, as I said to him the other day, I, I I don't think I'll ever be a practicing stoic. I think that's too much. Um, that requires way too much discipline and commitment. And I don't think I'm made of either of those things. But I use it, as I say to him, medicinally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I need to feel level, I will go and, and, and start reading. Uh, I'll read like a thousand words um, from... Um, here or from uh who's that guy that that conqueror there um that uh Marcus Aurelius you know I'll, I'll read i'll read something from them just to sort of level me out is there a um for what you do is there a big emphasis on understanding that outside forces aren't making you feel the way that you feel but you are
0: well that depends it's it's not sort of like uh, what is it? What's the word? Sapulistic? Like where everything just exists in your head? Like that's that that's not really I think true because we do really have we live in a world full of stress and trauma because we have we're all traumatized people in a way right so there's a collective that builds around this and the systems that we have are not necessarily supportive of mental health in many circumstances so we do have an objective reality but so like i mean when we were through our evolution we we never really lived like this you know before fight or flight would happen when you would see a tie like a you know saber-toothed tiger or something and then there wasn't this continual stress and trauma that happens the same in in modern life which is always being re re re-triggered through social media or through through news or even like social engagements right so like we still have the same neural pathways so if somebody at work you know, disses you or criticizes you, it sets off the same neural pathways as if someone's going to kill you. Like it, it, these are ancient, ancient. This is the most ancient wow. part of the brain, right? It's, it's the amygdala. So these things are, you know, yeah, like you said, like if there is some element of like, yes, am I going to die if someone says I, I did a really bad job at work or you know, I'm terrible at this? No, but it has the same impact because that part of our brain is the, what they call the lizard brain, hmm. the oldest part of the brain. So part of this process of when you're talking about contemplative psychotherapy is that you're you're engaging different parts of your brain. So the frontal lobe is the part which is like your executive functioning. And that's the part when I talk about the reparenting. When you meditate or you practice mindfulness, this part of their brain actually starts to become the adult, like the parent. Right. So it can have you'll get these um, impulses, you know, from that part of the brain. But when you're mindful, you can just watch and you watch. You're like, okay, that's happening again. I see that that's happening again okay I'm not gonna to have to react like this with practice maybe I learned that I'll respond you know maybe I'll have a discussion with my co-worker about it rather than scream or go home and drink a bottle of wine or you know whatever it is that that how you cope you know with these things so you become more of a master of these things right so it's, it's actually as it was described to me is also by my teachers and I think even I'm not sure if the Dalai Lama or you know these um, more of the monastic side. It's an evolution, right? An evolution of the human mind, um, and we have these abilities um, to be able to, um, you know, engage those parts of our brain so that we can live a better life. Essentially,
1: yeah. I I read some that that's actually <clears throat> quite profound in, in what you just said in a way too, because it 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 empowers people maybe to sort of even look at themselves in a way that allows them to afford themselves the idea that they can even parent themselves you know like without thinking that oh i'm not good enough to do that but um but when you're talking i am i'm i'm sitting here wondering um if there is a aspect of evolution that i mean this is maybe i'm just philosophizing at the moment um and 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 just sort of spitballing here but if we are cognizant of the idea that we can be in transit when it comes to evolution so in other words we're born and here we are and we grow and everything this isn't like the one peg of evolution and then our offspring become the next peg like we can actually make our minds evolve as we get older in order to sort of feel like we are growing uh even though we're living one life does that make any sense to you
0: that's perfect sense because i mean a big part of this is neuroplasticity so, you know, it's not like, you know, old times used to think, okay, well, you're completely fixed in your personality by the time you're seven, which I mean, to a certain degree, that's it's going to be there, you know, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're cursed in a way, right, where your brain is like that, and you're like this for the rest of your life, but oh, I'm just, I'm just an alcoholic, I'm just, you know, an anxious person, I have to live with this, like, we can retrain um, our brains, right, and in that way, we can change. So I think it's, I don't remember the expression, but it's like neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more you do something, um, it becomes an actual neural pathway. In fact, we have a lot of, not the greatest neural pathways sometimes, like when it comes to anxiety responses or these kinds of things that are imprinted from early childhood traumas. But when you start working internally or even, and also in therapy, um, it's, it's between two people as well, right? So it happens inside and it happens between two people. Um, we start to rewire these parts of our brain with practice, and we can change them. And so it's not like it's, um, and it's also associated with a lot of things like telomere length. Um, it's like the, the genes. I think the longer your telomeres are, the longer you live. And stress and these kinds of environmental situations will shorten your telomeres. But people who meditate, it's proven that their telomere length lengthens. So we also have you know epigenetics, right? So there's certain gene markers that can turn on and off. So If you have the gene for cancer or something like that, um, you may be more prone to have that marker go off in environments which are not supportive, or because of stress responses. But if you can train, if if you start changing that, then even your even your DNA can be impacted. It can be impacted on a DNA and a genetic level, which is fascinating. How do you explain
1: that? What do you mean by that?
0: Um, so like with, with epigenetics, as far as I understand, like I'm not, a, I'm not really, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's more like, um, my understanding is certain gene markers that are hereditary. Um, so like they did the study with rats and I think they've done it with, and they might have done it with people too. But when you put a two rats with like maybe a gene for, I don't know if it's for like violence or something like that, it, and they're put in, in different environments. One is put in an environment, which is um you know pretty conducive to life they're you know they're treated well or they're put into an environment which is very stressful and traumatizing the one that's in the environment that that is stressful and traumatizing will develop that negative gene trait whereas the one who has the same gene marker in a more positive you know nurturing environment won't develop that so you see that also too with people who live in poverty you know or in socioeconomic certain socioeconomic situations that's why they say, you know, you may be experiencing more sickness and in, in certain um, socioeconomic classes because of the environment is so toxic, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I find that with, um, <clears throat> with people who are health nuts and people who are really serious about veganism, they're often mm-hmm. sick more. And I don't think it's because they're vegans or because they're health nuts. I think it's because they're stressed they 're always they 're always saying stressful things to other people to try to get them to convert them, but it makes them so stressed out that they 're sick all the time, and now they 're trying to be the person to sell veganism or a gym membership with a runny nose, and it just doesn 't work, <laughs> doesn't
0: work. Well, um, your mindset I, definitely has a big impact on your health that 's for sure
1: yeah, I was thinking of addiction when you were talking about those neural pathways and and how we often um i had this weird thing where um because my cycle was uh was alcohol, cocaine, and then hello darkness, my old friend, and uh, when I was at um the alcohol point, when I knew I was going to secure the cocaine, I would often throw up because of adrenaline
0: mm-hmm.
1: which at the time i was just I was always so confused, but as soon as I got off the phone and i was a I was about to go from point A, which was my house to point B, which is to where the drugs were. I would, I would throw up along the way. And I right. asked a buddy one time because no one really knew until a buddy came with me he wants to go get the cocaine. And I started throwing up in this alley. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, oh, i it'll pass, don't worry. Uh, and, you know, a sp- little bit of water, spit out the water. And he's looking, he's like, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, every time I, I know that I'm about to secure my next um, impulsive substance, I guess I get, I, you know, I, I throw up. And he's like, that's adrenaline and I'm like really? He's like yeah, that's what you're you're feeling the adrenaline of of the anticipation and that's why you do that. And yes. it was funny because um I stopped drinking 3 years ago. It, it was 3 years ago last month. And um I don't think I've I don't think I've thrown up since. I might have. But but you know what I mean? Like it's 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 it was so tied in that that was so tied into the securing of the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the idea of alcohol itself makes me feel nauseous
0: oh that's interesting yeah. is it because it's because it's so associated with the cocaine and the adrenaline or is it something else do you think i don't
1: know i i, I, I mean I, I i smelled wine i don't know i guess it was a year ago someone else had a glass of wine and i'm cool with people drinking in front of me i don't care i'm not tempted or anything because someone passed the glass or something and anyways i smelled wine and i was like oh fuck. and it was like an 80 dollar bottle of wine it wasn't like It wasn't baby duck or anything. I wasn't just like a sommelier, snobby kind of gaggy thing. I I honestly thought it was disgusting. And then um, and all the cheap hand sanitizers at stores smell like vodka to me. It smells tequila to me. Some
0: of them smell. Oh man, am I in senior frogs? Like
1: this is. So So I feel like I've developed a new neural pathway where that that it's my brain is like this is unhealthy for you, and Mm. we're gonna make you feel sick just at the thought of it. And it works. I can't stand the idea of being drunk. Like it makes yeah. me feel weird. And and you remember me at all, Tara? That is a very weird place for me to be.
0: Well, you know? yeah, it's it's um, it's nice in a way when your body develops that protective mechanism because I'm the same way. Like I can't tolerate alcohol at all. Like I sometimes I try because I'm like, oh, that margarita looks so good. I'd like to, you know. And then it's just like oh, it's a nightmare. You know, it's a nightmare for days, and yeah. it's just not good. And and it's like. You know, sometimes these old habits, they are, you know, they were fun. You have all these associations with it. Like, oh, yeah, that margarita could be so fun because everyone's having fun, you know, doing that, but you're just not part of that anymore. Like, you you can't engage in it in the same way that other people's brains and bodies can. So it requires an adjustment. Like, it can be, it requires some integration, too, I think, because it can be pretty lonely sometimes, too, right? And your whole world, social world is around that, right?
1: yeah well lucky for me I moved away to literally butt fuck nowhere and so now I don't have a social life so it, it actually worked <laughs> out for the past right I quit dude, drinking look- after I moved here too so because there's no pub there's no pubs like dude I'm, all, I, I'm addicted to access it's really mm-hmm. about access like if I live in a city it's too easy. I still don't think to this day that I could live in a city I, I, I think that it would take about a week and I would probably just be like give me all the drugs you know and and that would be kind of that but um I mean I hope I wouldn't do that I, I, it's funny I would do drugs before I would drink because i'm just so anti-drinking now um there was something that i I read in your bio today on your website um and we and we touched on a little with the ayahuasca thing but where um are you integrating are you possibly integrating or are you looking with interest um at the possibility of integrating psilocybin and things like that into a practice um, based on the research that's happening right now like can you see yourself offering that kind of service uh say in five years
0: well, yeah, it depends, right? Right now, I um, I do psychedelic integration work and prep, like preparation, which it doesn't sound like what it does. It's 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 a form of integration just happening beforehand. So, which if some people, this is from a harm reduction perspective, right? So, if, if people are saying, hey, you know, I want to do 20 grams of mushrooms. It's my first time. Like, you know, I want to talk about it. So. <laughs> part of that preparation and integration piece is okay. Like, where did you come up with that numbers? is 20, it's <laughs> 20 He's the best, word. yeah. <laughs> you know, where do you get your information from? You know, do you have resources? You know, what kind of resources can you look at, you know, to to understand what this might be like and, and, you know, explore safety, right? Safety is very important. So like, you know, do you have someone to sit with? Like, have you thought about where you're gonna be? Have you thought about these things, you know? so. Like from the harm reduction perspective, it's like just you know be be safe and, and reflective on what it is that you are hoping to do, right? Um, with respect to psychedelic therapy, um, I, I don't know what the landscape's going to look like within a few years, I and mean, ideally, I would hope that we could have this in a way that's affordable, you know, and accessible to people, which uh, you know, with all the licenses and all the liability and things, how how that would turn out um, a lot of times, you know, I think now the, the, the research is being done with synthetic psilocybin because that's mm-hmm. the only thing I think that's FDA approved and that's quite expensive. So I don't know if they're going to be, in, you know, it's going to be a $2,500 trip kind of thing. Right. And I, I don't yeah. know, you know, ketamine is already there. And so I don't I know. I feel like
1: they have to, um, there has to be more of a customization approach, for psychedelic therapeutic um, ideas because you know ssris if there's one thing that that i find um frustrating about it is that and i have a lot of friends who are on them i was on them for a while and i i i think i stopped after four or five months or something i just didn't like it but it there doesn't seem to be a customizable kind of approach to it um when you talked about that person with the the twenty gram mushroom thing that's it's a funny example, but it's actually true like I, I've had people like look at me like, "Oh, you're fucking you're just crazy, James because um I used to once a month reset by taking six grams of mushrooms, which is a hell of a lot for most people, but mm-hmm. it's so personal right like okay. it's it's not it wasn't it's not intended for me to to like walk the line of almost dying it, it that's what I was comfortable with. I was comfortable Mm -hmm. going to outer space because uh, psilocybin doesn't scare me. I don't feel like I would ever have a bad trip, you know, and so I'm not recommending it for others, but that feels right for me. Um, Do you think that we would have to approach any type of therapy like that that centers around psychedelics in a very customized way, you know, rather than this like, well, uh, the average person can take two grams of mushrooms and feel like this you know, maybe, maybe we should personalize it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit, I know. Cause I mean, from what I, I mean, I haven't read too much of the research about it lately, but I know a lot of this the research that was done was, I think it was, it was a flood dose or like a, what call a heroic dose. So I think that's, I think it's five grams at least. Um, and they were done in context with people who are in palliative care, like John Hopkins University's done a lot of studies on that. Um, and there's a specific protocol for that, you know, and so people, I think they're lying down, they have like a blind on, they have like two therapists in the room, these kinds of things. Um, not
1: Rapping on your back deck.
0: No, I mean, that's more of a, like a personal thing, I guess. I mean, and I think that's the thing, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, these standardization is important to institutional bodies in order for things mm. to feel safe. Right. And that's the medical model. So I don't know. You know, maybe that's how it starts, and then maybe there's more freedom around that afterwards. But um, yeah, I mean, right now it's pretty, I think there's a lot of specificity around how it, it was, how it is administered, or protocols around how it's been administered when it's had approval from the FDA yeah. for these protocols to go through. Uh,
1: because I may have accidentally discovered something. <laughs> let me throw this, let, let me run this by you, Tara. Um, So I, due to ecstasy use, due to prolonged ecstasy use and because I did the wrong thing and snorted uh, a lot of ecstasy I had brain buzzes
0: you still do remember,
1: well that funny you should ask uh so I guess about a year and a half ago now maybe something like that uh I I did I get, I didn't know that there was referred to as a hero dose but I did uh my my six grams or whatever and these were exceptional <laughs> mushrooms my entire room was blue it felt like I was like spongebob like I was underwater kind of thing I didn't look like him, but it just felt like I was underwater. But all of a sudden, the intensity of these brain buzzes that I've had for at least 15 years, and and they're not constant, but a few times a week, it'll last for like an hour-ish, sometimes five minutes, sometimes an hour. And they just, you know, I was like two hours into my trip, and they were just like, like really intense. And I was like, holy shit. And then all of a sudden, I heard like a, and they just went away. And they have not been back. And that was... Like a year and three months ago or something i thought they were back one time but i'm pretty sure i was just dehydrated because i drank water and it went away but like but they were they they had, for all intents and purposes that trip made them go away i don't yeah. have the science i'm not saying i you know like i opened this by saying i discovered something i didn't discover shit i i, I got really high and they got rid of my brain buzzes but it's awesome these are <laughs> kind of things what's that it's
0: great that you got rid of them you know it's awesome right.
1: Is that the kind of data, though, that do you think that would ever uh, prove to be um, important? Like, like, uh, is I it, so. you know, I mean, have, I, have, I, I tried looking it up. I couldn't find anything.
0: But. Yeah, I mean, there's so, like cluster headaches, I think, are one of the things that people say that mushrooms can treat um, migraines and things like that, you know, and so it sounds like some, maybe something in, in maybe in that realm. I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist or neurologist, and there are people, <laughs> neurologists who are studying these things. Um You know, because so, I'd
1: love to get yeah. in on that guinea pig shit, you know, like
0: <laughs> I lineup out the door, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, can but I, have, I, have, I, I yeah. have
1: published evidence that discovered no because I always hear them, you hear about these stories. the, the one story about uh, the girl uh, fifteen years ago or something she's she was bipolar, she wanted to kill herself, she ate like a half ounce of mushrooms and was in the hospital. Uh, for I don't know how long, but like when she kind of came out of her, I guess like long ass trip, like I don't know if it was four days or whatever it was. Um, since then, she she has never had another bipolar episode, and she was like, "You are bipolar. You are like the poster child for bipolar, and this is why you wanted to commit suicide. And now you're fine, and we can't explain why." And um, you know. I didn't know that uh, that synthesized uh, psilocybin was so expensive, but uh, I mean, why does big pharma always have to get their 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 bite in? Why can't we just treat it like her- herbal medicine I think something?
0: that actual herbal substances, if I'm not mistaken. Not be approved by the FDA because there's too much variability in the actual content of the psilocybin. Mm. So that's one. That's the reason. One of the reasons that's given. Um, mm. I think because when they're doing these scientific studies, and I mean, there's other. If you want to talk about big pharma, I think there's other motivations, perhaps. But like, when you talk about it from a sci- I guess scientific perspective, um, consistency of the dosage is important in order to be able to have the validity of the tests. Um, So they have their, I don't know how many, this was a few years ago that I read this, I don't know now, but I think they have their sources that make the same thing in the lab and then they're given during the test so that the outcome is our, you know, we know that we're five grams is five grams, no matter what kind of thing. Yeah. um... You know, there's so many different kinds of mushrooms too, right? Like one kind of mushroom can have a totally different impact than another kind of mushroom even, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I have that dilemma right now. I have um dilemma. <laughs> Listen to me. I have like a, a quarter ounce of mushrooms, but there are four different strains in total. And everyone's always like, never mix your strains. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm afraid to take them because people are like, don't mix your strains. But
0: I don't know. I, I know I've heard of people who love do that because they, and sometimes there are some people who are really knowledgeable about these things. They're like, oh, if I combine this with this, it's going to have this impact. And you know i don't know i can't uh well well, thank you
1: for the advice i'm going to totally take it now just because you said that whatever happens (laughs) is your fault i can't
0: advise Um, you on
1: (laughs) no but i remember once i was on acid and uh and you were kind of like taking care of me and this is basically what the night was like that moment (laughs) when the music is so good you turn into a trans-dimensional space goat
0: Neon
1: goat. (laughs) neon goat i don't know what it was with goats and neon but like Whenever I was tripping out this what all, all I ever thought of was neon goats, right? Neon on a squirrel. scale of one to neon, what color is your goat? Do you remember that? Yeah. I
0: remember yeah. Neonsaurus Rex, Days of Thunder, neon.
1: And the neon squirrel?
0: No neon squirrel. Oh, God. I don't think that's even died yet. I think that's close
1: <laughs> <laughs> This fucking squirrel.
0: And sometimes Whoa. it was like
1: like six inches away. We'd be on this balcony sitting there in Parkdale. You know, some old house with weird people that were all tripping out, and and I look over to my left, and there's a squirrel sitting right there, and it was a red one, was it not? <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I, yeah, I think. Or at least to me, it was A red. lot of squirrels going on. There's a lot of stuff with squirrels that, uh, that's true. Un- undefined. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um I'm trying to f- get. uh I don't know, Let me. Let me just. See if I can do something here for a second. I'm gonna save something and then I'm gonna bring it up because I want people to know um, where they can find you, because I think what you do is invaluable. Is this you? Uh, oh, that's weird. How did it take the thing like that? How did you, how did I do that? Um, anyways, it says radi- Radiant Minds Integrated. There you go. Okay, put your head there, put your head back there for a second. Counseling. <laughs> 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 integrated counseling and coaching
0: how did you make your uh,
1: what, this graphic? this is a weird graphic i've never seen a graphic sort of just it, do that before. it's
0: actually a, a transparent graphic that i use on Apparently. my website so that's probably okay. why you can see these things
1: <laughs> i like your logo does it mean anything
0: um it's a crop circle actually
1: it's a crop <laughs>
0: It is. It's. Are you gonna put that? Do you
1: put that in your business plan? Because maybe you know.
0: No, you know what? Like I had this. I was going through this sort of thing where I was like, I just like I'm feeling. I you know the name for this is coming. I was radiant and like I kept hearing like radiant luminosity and I kept thinking about it in terms of sort of the clear mind. You know that the the Tibetan Buddhists talk about it. Sort of like this. it's you know I don't know how to explain Third eye it. Third
1: kind of thing. Mind's sort
0: of yeah like just a ground of reality kind of thing and uh i was like i just kept thinking about the sun and, and these things and then i just i was like okay i should just start looking i just wanted to start looking I, and i found this and it was like somebody called it a sun angel or something The the are called oh. a sun angel I'm like wow that um in the feeling that i got when i looked at it i felt oh this is healing for me like it, it be it, a cool it, tattoo yeah it could be a cool tattoo I'm not going to get that as a tattoo, but it's cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: do you have a tattoo? You have tattoos, don't you? you no, I don't have any tattoos. No? Oh, I no. thought you
0: did. I'm too, uh, I, I, it's too indecisive. I know I'd get yeah, one. I mean, if want that one. I want something else or I don't want anything at all.
1: I just can't. I, every time I think of tattoos, I think of uh, all these young people with sleeves. And then I think of uh, of uh, the homes for the elderly in the year 2065 and how hilarious <laughs> so, that's going to be.
0: Yeah, it's going to be like so funny. Uh, do you have any tattoos?
1: No, no, I don't. When I, when I was really, really down, I was going to get one on the back of my neck, and I'm glad I didn't. It was the the cover of the Khalil Gibran, uh, the prophet, that what? thing with the hand with the elongated people that are supposed to be flames, which is still a pretty cool tattoo. But then I read um, one, of, one of his... <laughs> you really must know, Tara. One, one of the Khalil Gibran poems that I can't remember the name of really bothers me because... Uh, it, it was cited by a family member who did a very bad thing. And um, he talked about how, uh, he plagiarized Khalil Gibran like in a moment of uh, anger where he was mm. like, you know, it's not my job to be a parent. He was talking about his kid that he never sees. He's like, James, our job is to be the bow and the child is the arrow. And once that leaves the bow, they're on their own. And I was like, you just plagiarized Khalil Brand, and that's not really what he said. And then when I read Khalil Brand that poem over again, I was like, yeah, that's sort of what he's saying. What did, so then I stopped liking Killer Brown. <laughs> it just seemed like a good way to get out of doing your daddy duties. You know?
0: I guess, I mean, how old is a child? So many questions. <laughs> oh, you know what's so funny?
1: Well, he said, this is the uncle. My, my audience knows this is the uncle that, um, that uh, fucked around with my four-year-old girlfriend and ended that relationship. And mm-hmm. so, he, but before that, he was like, I really liked him a lot. And he told me that he had a kid. Um, and the kid was like, I don't know, or something when he told me that he had the kid. And when I asked about the kid, that's when he gave me the collegiate brand thing. And then he told me, he's like, no, I don't see him. You know, like uh, his mom is a, is a native woman in um, iqualiquit I think. And, and whatever. And then uh, like 12 years later, 15 years later, whatever it is, someone reaches out to me. And so he didn't want to be found by this child, by this man now. He didn't want his son to find him. He just didn't want to, to do that at all. And then, uh, you know, 15 years later or five years ago, whatever, this person emails me out of the blue and is like, do you know Danny? I think he's my father. And I'm like, I sure do. Let me put you in touch with him. <laughs> because I knew that Danny didn't want to be found. So um, that was my gift. Like, but, you know, like, I, it was shade Freud, but it was also the right thing to do. I think, you know, people want to know their dads. Who's I to stand in this way, right? Tell me I did the right thing, Tara, please. <laughs>
0: for
1: you to decide. Okay, so what is um? So tell 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 us about your practice. Tell us where where people can find you, and 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 what kind of uh, services you offer, and and to whom, if you don't mind.
0: Um, sorry, can you repeat that? I, I missed the first part.
1: Just tell me about your practice, and where and how people entice people with problems to want to call you.
0: Okay, where I got distracted yes. by that, that little came up, I was like my brain just went blank. I'm I was sorry. It like, was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I think, is there a link to the website somewhere on, on here or?
1: Um, there isn't, but I can put it as my name, okay. um, the, the Radiant Mind Counselors, right?
0: Yeah.
1: .com or .ca?
0: .com. So is it that? Yeah.
1: Radiant yeah. counselors, right? Uh, nope, I missed the mind. Never mind, hold on.
0: I think also the radiant isn't spelled. Um, All right. Right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah,
1: Pretend I'm not doing this and just go.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, you can contact me through there. There's um, like a sort of a question form, or there's also a phone number there, email, uh, that kind of thing. Um, there's a 30 minute pre consultation. Um, that I offer so if you want to you know talk about about and see if it's a fit for you and what you're looking for you know so you don't have to you want you know I think you really want to get to know somebody before you commit to yeah. something like that perhaps and so that's an opportunity to do that um yeah and so um mainly well I work with um individuals mainly and couples and so yeah it's uh, just a range of presenting concerns Um, There's a list of things on my website, you know, anxiety and depression and all kinds of things, you know, self-esteem. There is the psychedelic integration piece there as well. Um, You know, a lot of times people have experiences with psychedelics that are really confusing and it's hard to integrate what you've seen right back into your life. So I think that's a really important space to open up for people. Um, so there's that as well. And so, yeah, it's sort of your running mill, not running your mill, but like, you know, typical therapy counseling type, you know, situation. Well, I, find, I,
1: I find it very interesting. I, I like the integration element of it. I like, um, guys go to the website. It's uh, radiantmindcounselors.com and, and check it out. Um, uh, and by the way, if you use the uh, promotional code blackball, absolutely nothing will happen, but you can just, uh,
0: <laughs> you can do your on <laughs> yeah that's right um
1: no but um honestly i'm so i'm so happy that we got a chance to catch up um you are and remain one of my most um interesting uh friends and i really do value you as a friend uh even though we never see each other i i think uh i've appreciated um everything that you've done in the past as far as being like just there as a as a counsel kind of thing and uh as like a as a listener um and i think that you in this field uh is perfect is a it's it's a perfect fit and um yeah i miss you and uh and i hope that you uh, you're doing well yeah well
0: maybe more i'll see you I come up you yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah please do please do and uh and yeah i i need friends up here i have nobody up here but uh, all my okay. friends are the parasocial kind of friends right so it's
0: parasocial
1: um, i just learned that word i hope i used it correctly it's just when you only know people in the digital sense
0: oh okay yeah yeah it's just an interesting space isn't it
1: usually it's a reserved for um people like people describe having oh I, you have a just only a parasocial relationship with that person it's usually i think a negative like a pejorative almost saying like you don't really know that person you just know the digital yeah. version of that person yeah but um right. I, I value my friends so much that uh i i don't care what you call it uh, I'm, I'm just happy to see um a familiar face um, because tomorrow, um, your face will be uh, replaced with a journalist, and then the next day it will be a former cult member, and then after that, it'll be, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's wow. nice to see a friend. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see a friend. <laughs> so many
0: different things going on. Awesome. I yeah, um, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's, no, anytime, Tara.
1: Anytime. Tara Musensky, okay. thank you very much for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks. Okay,
0: Bye-bye.
1: Bye, Tara. Love you. She's awesome. Um so happy that she's on. I'm going to try to do that maybe once a week. I had Melissa on last week. Um, Laura Creedon, if you're listening to this, maybe I can have you on next week. I just want to, um, it'd be fun kind of to introduce people that have only known me for a year or two uh, to people that have known me for either my whole life or half my life. Um, You know, just be interesting. We have a big week, by the way. Let me just take a look at my calendar here before I talk to you about my big week. Here's the big week. Tonight we had Tara. Tomorrow, we have journalist Max Fawcett. Max Fawcett is from the National Observer. We're going to talk Danielle Smith, and we're going to talk about free speech, and we're going to talk about Pierre Polyev. So that should be both fun and frustrating all at the same time. On Wednesday, we have Beth Seed. She is a former member of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, um, who unsurprisingly has uh, stories of heartbreak and awful things to tell. On Thursday, we have friend of the show, Karima Sad. Karima is going to talk to us about what it's like in her in the latest chapter of either the left or the right are really bugging the hell out of me. And then on Friday, we have, of course, Casual Friday. I'm hoping Ryan Lindley will be there. If not, we will still have a good time. Last week, it was Spenny and Paul Atkinson. And, yeah, so hopefully, um, yeah, it's going to be a big week. And then next week, by the way, I have uh, on Tuesday, Olga Toko Ryuk, who is a Ukrainian journalist um situated right now I believe in London in the UK. So that should be awesome. I can't wait um I can't wait actually just for this week to be over because uh, I'm already really <laughs> exhausted. But the podcast actually makes me more energized. I just have to stop doing edibles during the day. I didn't do that today. Um but I wanted to. But whenever I do it's a disaster because what I end up doing is uh because the kids are at school and the house is empty. So I'll start writing my book So I'm working on a book right now, uh, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church book. And then after an hour, I'll get hungry and then I'll nap and I'll get up and I'll eat and then nap, get up, eat, nap, get up, eat, nap and repeat. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not built to do any type of uh, THC until the sun goes down. And then I have to wait till the podcast is over. So it's 9.04 and I will be partaking as soon as I get off this podcast, which means... We'll see you next time on Black Bowl.
0: black
1: Black 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 black